Well, hello again and welcome to another episode of CH Network Presents, where we have conversations about the kinds of things people wrestle with and the kind of experiences they have as they're exploring the Catholic Church and figuring out whether or not they're supposed to become a part of it. I'm Matt Swaim, Director of Outreach for the Coming Home Network. Visit us at chnetwork.org if you want to check out other episodes of the show. You can also, if you're looking for a community of people who are all kind of discussing this sort of thing together, we have an online community that you can get into for free, which is community.chnetwork.org. And the reason that's free, the reason this video is free, the reason I'm not beating you up about Patreon stuff is because we have generous donors um, who make all this possible. And if you want to be one of them, then head on over to chnetwork.org slash donate. Um, got a lot of fun stuff to get to today. So the fun of the Coming Home Network Presents project is that we get to have a couple people with common experiences to talk about the really, really oddly specific things that are extremely unique to that experience. And sometimes we get to do that with the denomination. But that's not what we're going to get to do today because the group that these two people are coming from does not consider itself a denomination, and that would be the Church of Christ. So, uh, first of all, we got Dr. David Russell Mosley, who's joining us from the extreme West Coast. <laughs> Rochelle joining us from the extreme coastless middle of Missouri. <laughs> and uh, both of them have a background in the Stone Campbell Restorationist world. Rochelle, Dr. Mosley, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Matt. All right, so um, I've already had to be very careful about my language at the beginning of this because I want to make sure, A, I didn't call the Church of Christ the denomination, and B, because whenever I talk about someone from this background who enters the Catholic Church, I have to be careful because it always sounds really messed up. When I say <laughs> that someone came from the Church of Christ to the Catholic Church, it sounds like, well, I used to believe Jesus, and then I abandoned him for the pagan whore of Babylon, <laughs> right? So... That's a problem already built into this, but uh, we'll go ladies first. Rochelle, when you grew up in the Church of Christ, what was it that you believed that you were a part of? Like, what kind of Christian did you think that you were? What kind of church did you think you were attending? Yeah, so um, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I was definitely aware pretty early on that there were very different. There was a variety, right, among the Churches of Christ. Um, I was part of a very large Church of Christ, um, large for Missouri. Um, it had about over a thousand members when I was young. Um, and so I think, um, again, I was aware that there were Churches of Christ who definitely saw themselves as the church. Um, but I wasn't really brought up that way. Um, certainly we believed that the Bible was our, um, sole authority. Um, but it, there was a hesitancy about calling ourselves just another denomination. We were, we were just Christians, right? We were trying to be like the early church. Um, so that was really kind of the overriding theme and, I'm sure we're going to get into all the kind of taglines of the Church of Christ, but I absolutely loved it. I had wonderful experiences, wonderful people, um, and I'm very, very grateful for the heritage that I have. Um, and I know we'll talk about all those things and how it helped me appreciate the Catholic Church as well. So I don't know if that really answered your question, <laughs> it, <laughs> but it I does. knew there were and a variety of kinds. Yes, so of without spoiling too much ahead— uh, right. So when you said that you knew that you were trying to be like the early church, like what did you mean by that? Yeah, just what you see in the Bible. 
that's pretty much it. <laughs> I wasn't aware of anything else. I mean, that was really the only example that I was given or that I even really knew existed. We didn't really talk about anything that would have been later than the New Testament. Right. But you got a lot in the yeah. New Testament to go on, right? Mm -hmm. You've got uh, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, the prayers and all that stuff, hallmarks of, of Church of Christ worship. A lot of people mm -hmm. don't realize that um, regular communion is actually a thing that's not a thing in a lot of Christian denominations, but it very much is a thing in the Church right. of Christ because of all the things you just mentioned. So, mm -hmm. Dr. Mosley, um, so you went a step further than all this because you went on to, a, I believe, a restorationist college. Uh, and I want to make sure to get some— I did, too. Some, oh, you did, too? I didn't realize yeah. that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. then I have more questions for you in a moment. But okay. um, <laughs> talk a little bit because I— there's some interchangeable terms that we can use here too. Stone Campbell right. movement, restorationist, Church of Christ. Um, so it, you went on to a, a institution of higher learning with this. So talk a little bit about your formation that led you want to choose that kind of place to go to school. Right. So I came to the faith in general um, in my teenage years when I was about 12, 13 years old. Uh, is when I first met the pastor at my local uh, acapella Churches of Christ church in in Illinois and so um, it was really getting to spend time with them that made me want to do a little bit more with uh, with this to make kind of my faith also my career right <laughs> somehow in some way uh, and so originally I was looking at uh, Harding University out in Searcy Arkansas which is where my pastor had gone uh, but I found out that like he couldn't wear shorts until after <laughs> Uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. You couldn't wear them to classes at all. You couldn't have hair that went down past your collar. You couldn't have any piercings. And of course, at this point in time, believe it or not, I had all of those things. I, my ears were pierced. I had hair and it was long. Um, I liked wearing shorts. And being in Arkansas and not being allowed to wear shorts just sounded terrible. Uh, so, so I didn't go to Harding. Instead, I went to, at the time it was called Lincoln Christian College and Seminary in Lincoln, Illinois, uh, where they didn't have all of those rules. Uh, but you know, I went wanting to be some kind of pastor, do something professionally with my faith. Uh, and so while I had been, I came to faith in an acapella churches of Christ, Lincoln for those in the know, uh, was occasionally called even liberal Lincoln, which is just hysterical to me. Uh, <laughs> we were the Christian churches and churches of Christ, namely the non-acapella people there. And so I guess I jumped streams, if you will, from the, uh, the acapella to the instrumentally inclined. Uh, <laughs> All right, so this is, where, this is where I have to pause you for the people who are like, what in the world are these people talking about? And this is also where I have to acknowledge a joke that you made in the setting up of this interview when I asked if you were still on to record today and you said, I'll be there with bells on as long as it's not a church service, right? <laughs> so if you could explain what in the world do you mean acapella churches of Christ and why? Right. So uh, fairly early on uh, in the Restoration Movement's kind of formation, right, you have Alexander Campbell, his father Thomas Campbell, Barton Stone coming in from the Northeast, right, all these people coming together, and you get varying opinions on what does Scripture's silence on an issue mean, right? And so for some, silence was permissive, 
Right? If scriptures are silent on a particular subject, then we are permitted to do that thing because they don't speak on it one way or another. For others, silence was, uh, it, it was, didn't allow you to, to do those things, whatever they were. So you get these big debates over a variety of issues. Paying pastors was one of them. Uh, Bible colleges was another, but probably the biggest problem for them was the question of instrumental music in church. Because nowhere in the New Testament does it command us to use instruments in musical worship of God. Uh, and so this ends up causing one of the first rifts in this, you know, Christian unity movement uh, <laughs> over are instruments permissible or not. Uh, and so you got uh, a group that split off and primarily referred to themselves as the Churches of Christ, uh, who were a cappella, right? There are to be no instruments used in a church service. Uh, some would go so far as to say all instrumental music is bad. Some will say all Christian instrumental music is bad, but if you want to listen to, I don't know, ACDC on the weekend, I guess that's fine. Uh, <laughs> and then there were those who said, it's just not for Sunday celebrations, right? So other, even religious purposes can use instrumental music. And that's the kind of church I grew up in. We, you know, Sunday morning, not a single instrument. Sunday night, guitars had all of a sudden come out and because it's not where we were having communion. Right? And we drew a hard line between when you're having communion and when you're not. Uh, and so that's the, that's the background I grew up in, but then went to a college where it was just like all instruments all the time. All right, so I'll share my experience of the Church of Christ and Restorationist folk and how I kind of discovered them personally. But first, uh, Rochelle, I want to know where you went to college. Harding University. You went to <laughs> <laughs> I knew I it. I had a sense by the facial <laughs> expressions you were making when he was, was saying dying. all these disparaging <laughs> things about your alma mater. So. I totally forgot about the shorts thing, but that's hilarious. I was dying over here when you said that. Well, I went to camp. I went to, um, they have a summer camp there called Uplift. Mm -hmm. And I started going there in, in like eighth grade. And so I always wanted to go there. I thought it would be just like camp. And it kind of is just like camp. <laughs> you know, the, you had, the trick is for people who've not, who've not been to Bible college, a lot of Bible colleges are kind of in a lot of ways, kinda depending on where campy. you go. Just like yeah. camp. So at Asbury College, where I went, which is a Wesleyan um, mm -hmm. school in the Wesleyan tradition, no uh, no shorts in class, no screen print T-shirts, no hair behind the collar. So um, Jesus is on the wall in a lot of classrooms. You're just not allowed to look anything like him. So right. shave it up, you know, <laughs> kind of close. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'll ask you because you know, David, you just mentioned a whole range of different expressions of of the Church of Christ. Um, so. In my own experience, so I never really had like a, I mean, even though I went to school in Kentucky, Bible college in Kentucky, my experience was, you know, sort of broadly evangelical with like a strong experience of uh, Wesleyanism. I only knew uh, reformed people by the fact that that's who I argued with at school, right? Um, but when I uh, was playing in bands and ended up living in this sort of event center that had, it was in an old Catholic church, it was full of all these kids who went to Cincinnati Bible College um, who listen to punk rock and had tattoos and smoked cigarettes. I'm getting them all in trouble right now. But some of them had actually think been even like, you know, on the outs with Cincinnati 
Bible College, which is now Cincinnati Christian University, but they were all like super into Stone Campbell stuff and super into restorationism. And I found myself uh, really having an admiration for the impulse behind the movement, right? Because mm-hmm. the impulse is like, look at all these dumb splits that are happening in Christianity. Look at all these divisions. Why can't we just scrap them all, scrap everything that divides us, come back to the word of God, and then we will be united again. But uh, my guess is, Rochelle, that as you're going to a college campus full of people who come from Church of Christ experiences all over the country, you're probably not finding everybody on the exact same page, are you? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> there was, again, a wide variety of beliefs and opinions about many different things, for sure. So what would be like yeah. an example of the kind of thing that you would assume that you assumed that everybody's going to be on the same page about, but then you found out that everybody wasn't on the same page about there at Harvard? Yeah. Um, well, I think, well, a couple of things, definitely the music issue, that was, um, certainly something that people had different opinions about. Um, you know, some people again, really thought that the church of Christ is the church and outside of that, there's no salvation. Um, so you had people that really held to that and believed that as well. Um, trying to think of other specific examples. Uh, those are some really big ones, but, um, like for me, I know I had an issue with, um, I was baptized as a young child, um, and sincerely meant it and believed it. But then later I kind of had a little deeper conversion and I wanted to repent of all my sins. And I went to an elder and said, you know, what do I do? I'm thinking maybe I need to be baptized again. And he just kind of, I don't think he knew how to answer that, um, because, I don't think scripture is super clear about that. And so he kind of left it up to me to mm. figure, <laughs> figure it out. And to me, that seems like something that should be, that's really important, right? Like to know, is that a sacrament that I need to repeat again? And how exactly are we saved? You know, is baptism necessary? You know, there was division over that too, if you have to be baptized or not. So, um, or do we accept other people's baptisms from other denominations? Those were some questions. Um, so, I mean, yes, there are, are multiple things that there could be division over in the church. So, yeah. Um, even just the fact that, well, there are different denominations that split pretty quickly and immediately after mm-hmm. the Stone Campbell Restorationist movement right. gets like mm-hmm. taken off right there at the beginning. So, yeah. David, I wonder for you, um, we've kind of covered the ground that that the Stone Campbell, I mean, even the fact that it's called the Restorationist movement is like this idea we want to get back to how the early church mm-hmm. did it. Did you have a concept of how the early church did it or did you have like an impression of how the early church did it? Right. Uh I'd say it's probably, I mean, it depended on where I was and who I was with as to whether or not, like, the church had an idea of that. You know, Acts was always the book that gets pointed to, right? Like, let's just, it's, you know, we're an Acts chapter 2 church, right? Like, that was something I heard so many times. Uh, And, of course, we weren't meeting in people's homes. We had, you know, houses or we had buildings that the church was housed in separate from people's homes. So... There was that question of it, but there was also just this sense that, well, whatever it is we're doing is what they were doing in the first century church, right? Like, yeah, the building might be a little different, and now we speak English and, you know, not Greek or whatever, but 
the impression from some was very much, oh no, we're absolutely just doing exactly what they did in the first century. But I had other pastors who were very much like, well, no, right? We're not getting back to exactly what they did. It's the sensibilities of the first century that we're trying to get back to. So it's not like becoming first century people again, but getting back to their supposed... The Bible says absolutely nothing about running water. So this is one of those places where scripture is silent, so we can't... You didn't go full Amish, right, on that, right? No, no, exactly, right? It wasn't prohibitive. You could, you know, there were jobs you could have outside of being like doctors, tax collectors, uh, and fishermen, right? (laughs) Even though those are kind of the intent makers, right? The four main jobs that you get in the New Testament. Hmm. Yeah, so... uh, there's there's something I want, well actually you know what let's talk about it right now uh, because I think it it really th- these are really important foundation pieces that um that I think help build the case and and help people understand like why you know if you're just looking at the book of Acts and not really interested in recreating the actual early church from the record like why well how all this fits together but um regular communion clearly a part of the early church I mean the book of Acts says that this is what they're doing right and the breaking of bread is like a euphemism for the Lord's Supper. So mm-hmm. what did you all, I'll, well, I'll go, I'll go with you, Rochelle. What did you believe or what were you taught is happening uh, when you celebrated the Lord's Supper at church, in a church of Christ, in your church of Christ specifically? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think it was definitely taught as this is a command that Jesus has given us that we should do this in remembrance of him. Um, and so it was really set up as a time to reflect, um, to think about his goodness, about his love, about what he did for us on the cross. Um, and also to sort of pause and take stock of where we are, um, in our journey and spend time in prayer and ask for forgiveness for things that you need to, um, but of course, it was just taught as a symbol of his body and blood, um, and just a way to um, memorialize him each Sunday. But it was extremely important, and there certainly was a sense that you're not supposed to miss it. I mean, we had they offered communion in the evening, like for people that didn't make it that morning, they'd have a separate place for them to go and receive it. So. Um, it was very, very important. And it also, in my particular church, the understanding was that you don't receive communion until after you've been baptized. Um, I don't know if that was across the board, but David, was um, that, was that the case for you all? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I got to visit a lot of, uh, restoration movement churches over the years and they, they were all, all the ones that I encountered were like that. Yeah. But it's very interesting though, because you know, they really steered away from any official teachings or creeds or official church doctrine. But of course we had all those things. And of course that was, that was a big problem with this idea that we could just read the Bible and be the church. Um, because you end up creating your own traditions to sort of fill in that gap. But, but they were unspoken in a sense in the church of Christ or my experience of it. It's just kind of, you just know this is how we do it. Um, so, which is very similar, right? To like the actual early church and how this is just what we do and this is how we live it out. This is our living church tradition. So that just kind of naturally, I think, happens, you know, in, in every church. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
So the the reason I ask about communion um, with you all compared to other Christian denominations, because, you know, um, I came from a lot of sort of Bible Belt Christianity in the Mid-South and, and that sort of thing. And even when I lived in Ohio, it was kind of like, a, you know, potluck once a month, communion once a quarter type of uh, mm-hmm. vibe. Um, so it was only every once in a while I was confronted with the passage, uh, when Paul tells the Corinthians that, you know, if anybody mm-hmm. eats and drinks unworthily, right, they'll be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. So only about once a quarter was I ever confronted with that reality. <laughs> so it wasn't like something smacking me in the face once a week at church. Um, David, was that a verse that like, did you... Was that something that you felt like you knew what to do with what Paul was saying there? Or was that something that was like a, a like a, a weight on your soul? Like, how did you process that? Yeah, it was it was interesting. I remember the first time or not the very first time, but I remember hearing that and just wondering, what on earth does that mean? Right. Like, do I have like when I take it, do I just have to really mean it? And, and what does it mean to mean it? Uh, like, I really remember you, Jesus. Like, really? <laughs> you know, it was it was not clear uh, what exactly that meant. And Rashad, I don't know if your church was like this, but, you know, ours, we'd have the sermon, but then we'd also have like a little communion meditation before every time we received communion. So you always yeah. got like the extra sermon, uh, which is usually delivered by somebody else, right? Not by the pastor who was uh, gave the sermon. Somebody else then got to get up and read for, you know, and talk for like two minutes about Jesus. <laughs> and it was completely disconnected from everything else that we did. And so, yeah, there was this sense of what does that mean? And then, of course, you had the different methods of receiving. You know, at my church, we passed the trays down. And so then it was a question of, okay, do I take it now or do I wait until everybody does it. And you never knew for sure, if, especially if you were at a new church, what their custom was. Because some people have the chairs with a little thing in the back of the chair in front of you. to. Oh, put where you can put your empties? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had those in the, yeah, in, in the Methodist churches I went to. Well, and then you had the churches, uh, Rochelle, I don't know if you encountered any of these, but I, I actually got to go to a church like this where they legitimately saw like drinking out of one cup as a heresy. Never mind the fact that heresy itself is a really interesting word to use when you're a non-denominational, non-creedal right. church movement. Uh, but, but I remember them saying that we got him out of that heresy, right? Some pastor was praying for somebody's son, and he, he was a one-cupper. And that was that was bad. Jesus had lots of little plastic cups at the uh, Last Supper, clearly, uh, and little chicklets for bread. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there were churches that had one cup. I that's right. I'd yeah. forgotten about that. Yep. Okay. They were weird. So yeah. um, they were weird. I have <laughs> I have a I have a place I want to kind of get you from point A to point B in this conversation, um, but. I want to stop here for a moment and just marinate because uh, here's a question that's probably one that, that is important to this conversation, and that is, so who's the Pope of the Church of Christ? Who's the Pope of the Disciples of Christ? Like, who is the who is who does the buck start, stop with? Like, Rachel's, or, or Rachel, Rochelle's pointing to herself, <laughs> right? So, like, who we is the are. authority, <laughs> right? Like, what do you mean by we all are? Like, like well, how would that be understood? 
Yeah, I mean, if you don't have a um, a designated authority to interpret scripture, then every person is really, it's up to them and how they interpret that. I mean, I, I guess there were probably um, widely accepted beliefs that maybe if you met with an elder or, you know, a deacon or something, they might, um, you know, teach you those specific um, beliefs. But I mean, really, I feel like there was a lot that it was just kind of you and the Holy Spirit, you know, just trying to figure it out. I don't know, David, if that was your experience or not. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it's so I made the joke that Jack Cottrell was uh, Jack Cottrell, who actually just passed away. Uh, so please pray for the repose of his soul. But he was a, a monument of Churches of Christ theology. I remember we had to use one of his books in college uh, for our like introduction to theology class. Because it was, right, either it was you on your own, right, or the thinkers, right, the the restorationist theologians that everybody learned about at their restorationist Bible colleges or liberal arts colleges, if you're at Harding, because they weren't a Bible college, because uh, they were on the no Bible colleges side of that debate, just saying. Uh, this is like really deep cuts for, like, this is Five. this is why I wanted two people with really specific interlocking experiences. This is, but this otherwise, is YouTube gold. But otherwise, <laughs> then it became kind of almost autocephalous, right? Like it was your, it was you, sure, but it was also your church, right? Like your elders were the ones who determined when and if somebody needed to be kicked out of your church, right? And why, right? They're the ones who hired and fired the pastor. Right. So it was you did end up with these kind of locally autonomous churches that were just authorities unto themselves with you being an authority unto yourself. So if you weren't happy with what was going on at your church, what did you do? You went down the road and you started a new one. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So before we move on to the next stage of what I want to get you guys to talk about, um, (laughs) I'll ask each of you this. Uh, I asked this with the Pentecostal preachers that I had on. I asked them, what is one oddly specific phrase or like vocabulary? We've already covered some of this ground, like vocabulary word or like reference or maybe even like a song that like is so super unique to the Church of Christ that if you were to say it in like a Walmart, like the one Church of Christ dude would turn around and feel seen. Like what would be... (laughs) Rochelle, do you have one? I'm dying. Yeah, but if David doesn't remember this, I'll be really embarrassed. That's okay. One person <laughs> watching will, and you'll freak them out. 328B. Do you know that song, 328B? Oh, I no, don't. he does it. That's so embarrassing. Our God, he is it's alive. Not. 328B. Is that a clap no, song? No. We didn't clap. Okay. No, oh, that's right. That's what am I thinking? The hands are a musical instrument. <laughs> Sometimes on Sunday night, somebody would awkwardly start clapping. <laughs> that was always a little strange, Nothing. but nobody really. Well, okay, I, see, he didn't know that one. He didn't know it. But if I said, well, shape, you say yours, David, and maybe it'll spark one more from Rochelle before we move okay. on. Okay. Right, Rochelle, if I say shape notes, do you, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Look, this is how divided the Church of see, Christ is. This is we don't this even. Is not we're so autonomous. I thought you guys. I'm we're treating so, you guys like you're a denomination, and you're obviously not. Right? <laughs> So, we're too autonomous we don't know what, I don't know okay how about about. this how about this oh, I, I, I will go and you tell me if 
Okay, so this is you tell me if this is ever a joke you heard made about yourself, because this is a joke that I heard made about you from a Nazarene pulpit at least once. And that is a person would stand up to give their testimony. They'd be sweating and stammering and they'd say, I'm nervouser than a trumpet at a Church of Christ convention. <laughs> I've that? never heard it, but I get it. No. Okay. <laughs> it's like you're being there with bells on, Joe. Yeah. Okay. That's really All right. funny. Well, it sounds like I have something. to move on. Well, and there, there, are lots of, there are lots of like slogans that we had, right, that I know Rochelle and I would share, like no creed yeah. but Christ. Okay, yes. yeah, there you go. That's a, that's right. a good We're one. not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. Mm-hmm. And speak right. where the Bible speaks and silent where the Bible is silent. Right? Exactly. That's the one right. that I like, know very all well. Sorts yeah. of you got that one. These kinds of, we were great at sloganeering. It was the 19th century. Right, newspapers had essentially just been invented. We we were good at this kind of propaganda. <laughs> All right, well, cool. So, um, I guess the uh, the next stage of of where I want to go with this is I want to figure out what you've already hinted at some of this. Both of you have, but David, what were some of the limits in this uh, worldview that really caused you to think this? It's there's there's more here that is not being fulfilled by what I've experienced in the Church of Christ, and i got to go deeper. And, of course, the spoiler is that you've both been, you know, on the journey home, so people know you ended up Catholic. Um, <laughs> but what were the things that, like, were part of that worldview that you were like, There's, this, isn't, this isn't quite it? Yeah. There were, there were a variety of things for me. Um, you know, a lot of it even just started with this call to return back to the first century, because— you can read other people from the first century or the late first, early second century who don't sound like uh, a Church of Christ uh, church, right? Who sound pretty weird on certain things if your whole worldview is that, like, your only sacrament, properly speaking, is baptism. And even then, depending on where you are, it's regenerative or it isn't. Um, but it's necessary no matter where you are. Right. Those kinds of things started to kind of crack open that door for me of even when we start to look at the other first and second century writers, we're seeing a huge shift. And since we're not Mormons who think a great apostasy happened after, you know, all the apostles except for John died, who maybe never died and so therefore never really had a great apostasy. But this isn't the Mormon episode. That's for another time. Oh, we'll have one of those, David. Oh, we'll have one of those. But but you're reading the early church. So so as Ken Hensley, you know, my colleague puts it, you know, he was a Baptist pastor when he finally actually started to go look at the record for himself. And he told his wife, you know, famously, I've looked under every rock uh, in the first and second century. I've not found a Baptist anywhere. When you finally went back to, to, I mean, did you have this sort of sinking feeling like, maybe I would not have a, had a place to go to church <laughs> if I were hanging around in the second century. Fortunately, I never had that feeling because the churches that I, I ended up being involved with, and especially as I got into college, they acknowledged these things, right? We, we got away from this sense of that there was no difference, that you couldn't find these kinds of examples, and got to a place instead uh, of... Yeah, and then pretty quickly afterwards, right, they start to change, right? And it's not a change that breaks from Christianity altogether, but these are the kinds of developments that we're trying to kind of go through, right? And maybe there are some things there that are okay, but 
really were trying to go through them and, and back to the text, back to the first century. Uh, and so, yeah, I never, I never had that particular feeling. It was more just a, boy, they sure were weird back then, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there you go. I mean, I, I remember, you know, I was hanging out in this re- with these restorationists, and we were um, like all these punk rock Church of Christ kids uh, who love Barton Stone and Alexander Campbell and wanted to start basically this Bible study for kids who felt rejected by all their other churches. And this Bible study mm-hmm. evolved into a house church. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to start a church. I've read too much, right? I've, <laughs> I've read too far into the early church. Like to know that that the impression of what the early church is, is not just people meeting in houses and singing some songs and studying a passage from scripture and sharing communion. Like it goes, there's, there's, there's more substance yeah. to it than that. But, um, Rochelle, I want to get into yours because yours has actually got some interesting narrative stuff to it because I know that um, a major turning point for you was when you moved out of town and had to find a church of Christ in another city, and then all this stuff kind of came to a head. I wonder if you could share a little bit about how that all played out and made you think maybe this was not where it all was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I really didn't question a lot about the Church of Christ and about the movement as a whole until in my personal experience, I kind of came up against um, some ideas that I definitely did not believe. Um, I had been, I got married to a man who was raised Catholic, but not practicing. Um, so he just went with me wherever <laughs> I went. Um, and we ended up in a, a totally different Church of Christ than I had grown up in. Um, just extremely, um, very small, um, very kind people, but definitely a lot of anti-Catholic sentiment there. Um, there were a lot of former Catholics that belonged there. Um, and just some things were said a couple weeks in a row about Catholics, and we both were like, we cannot. <laughs> we just knew we couldn't stay. And it was very, very sad. We'd been there for a couple years and developed friendships, and it was so difficult. But I'd already gone church shopping before that. I'd gone to several other churches, explored other like Christian churches and denominations. Didn't you check out a so book I... from the library at one point yeah. to try and figure so, out? Yeah. Or... Yeah, the big turning point was when I got the handbook of Christian denominations and I seriously thought I could just read the book and figure it out. <laughs> like like I'm going to find the right church for me, you know? And which kind of made me uncomfortable because I didn't grow up doing the church shopping thing. I mean, we stayed in the same church of Christ my entire childhood and um I didn't really love that idea of like finding the right church for me. Something felt wrong about that. But as I was reading that, that's when I really, my whole idea that we're kind of all the same, as long as you believe in Jesus, it's all good. That started to kind of fall apart as I was looking at some major like doctrinal differences, differences about how we worship, um, and even like issues around morality and things. I was just realizing these cannot all be true. Um, and so my, my focus shift from finding a church to trying to find the church, if it existed, (laughs) and I wasn't sure if it was, if it was still around, but I, that's what really led me to like question, okay, what did Jesus intend for the church when he established it? And so I just searched scripture. Um, and then, 
I know you don't want my whole story about that, but we want at least a little bit of it. <laughs> well, the spirit really in conversation yeah. with my husband it just led me to um, really look at the Catholic Church, and so I started reading conversion stories. And then found the early church fathers, which I had no idea they even existed. I would really, I took a church history class at Harding. I wish I could go back and find out what did they talk about? I have no idea. Uh, but, um, I wish I could go back with my Catholic ears, you know, now and like listen to that again. But, um, I for now I've lost my train of thought what I was saying. That's okay. Because but anyway, I'm glad you early church up- fathers. Yeah. yeah, the idea of listening with Catholic ears uh, is very interesting because there are going to be a great many people watching this who have Catholic ears. And I want you to kind of be explicit about this uh, because you've hinted at a lot of this before. Um, and we'll go, we'll start with you, David. Um, what were some of the things that were deeply instilled in you in the Church of Christ that gave you a hunger for the kinds of things that were ultimately fulfilled in the Catholic Church. Like I say, anybody with Catholic ears listening has probably already heard a lot of hints of this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, there probably you could put it into a couple of different places. First would be, again, that that strong desire to get back to what the church is supposed to be. Right, that that very uh, emphasis alone requires a historical worldview, right, of of what's going on. And when I learned in grad school that Alexander Campbell would get up every morning, I mean, supposedly, right, there's a lot of hero worship that goes on here, but supposedly got up every morning, read the Old Testament in Hebrew for half an hour, the New Testament in Greek for an hour, and then the Latin church fathers in Latin for half an hour, right? So here's a guy who's We've got whole people who, I mean, I know of colleges where the history, the church history teachers teach that anybody who was baptized as an infant is not saved. And so, like, the vast majority of Christians in history are in hell from their point of view. Right? So, but that, that very desire, and especially getting at it from kind of its origins and learning more about the history of the Restoration Movement, started to really open up the possibility and the importance of continuing to listen to how texts were received, right? Not just what they meant to their original audience, but what did some of the earliest people start to do with those texts, right? How were they understanding them, they who are so much more closer in time and therefore in general worldview to what the scriptures say than I was, and then you combine that with, uh, you know, it's one of the great things about the churches of Christ is that so many of them are still actually very sacramental when it comes to baptism, right? That something actually happens through a combination, uh, a combination of the imposition of a, a material reality, right? Water and a, a spiritual and inner reality, my desire to repent and to not be a sinner anymore. That coming together of things, right? You you crack that door open a little bit, and you've got to watch out, right? Because otherwise, it's just going to keep opening, and you're going to start discovering a lot more about material reality and spiritual reality that you don't want to learn if you want to stay a restorationist. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Rochelle, same question for you then. I mean, what what were some of the things that were kind of instilled in you that were embedded in your Christian experience in the Church of Christ that sort of, um. You saw that the Catholic Church was like where this stuff is has its full flowering. 
Yes. Um, well, I definitely can relate to what David was talking about, about trying to be like the early church. You know, that was so drilled in my mind as such an important value in what we were trying to do. So when I did finally discover those early church fathers, um, that had a huge impact on me. You know, as I'm reading saints that, you know, set at the feet of the uh, apostles or at least the apostles students, um, that just, I didn't know that existed and they sounded really Catholic to me <laughs> when I was reading, cause I'm reading the catechism at that time and early church fathers. And I thought, my goodness, they, they really sound Catholic and, and that had a huge impact. And then definitely, um, the emphasis on weekly communion, um, that had such a special place in my heart already. Um, and I, in my church journey, shopping journey, um, I really didn't know that other churches didn't practice that. So when I discovered that, I realized, okay, that's going to be a problem for me. I really need that weekly reminder. And I thought that's what Jesus asked us to do. And so then when I started studying about the Eucharist, um, and was led by the spirit to believe and, and know that that is true. Um, really there was no other place for me to go at that point. You know, I had to have Jesus in the Eucharist and be as close to him as possible. So, um, that's, that's been a huge influence to, or, um, a factor in drawing me to the church. Um, and then I think definitely, you know, witnessing the division that's happened, um, in all churches, but within the churches of Christ, um, you know, that, that desire, that deep desire for unity, but then the resistance to have any sort of, um, official, um, teachings or authority of any sort, um, it just, it led me to really be able to accept and embrace the authority of the church, um, and see that we actually really need that. Um, we really, that actually binds us together and, that's what Jesus intended to do. Um, and so I have such peace about being part of a church that I can confidently trust is being led by the Holy Spirit. Um, and Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail over his church. So I believe it. <laughs> and um, so I'm very grateful um, to be able to kind of rest in that, in that knowledge and that truth. So. David, did you want to add anything to that? I see you nodding very vigorously over there. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you I, touched I, a nerve, Rochelle. No, Rochelle, just, I mean, you, you speak so much for me as well, right? And that, that sense of, I loved how you said, like, I needed that reminder. And in my head, I'm just thinking, what you needed was Jesus. Right? That's what you wanted. And that's what you were wanting out of weekly communion in the first place. And for me, it was so similar. I mean, at, at that point in my journey, I was kind of functionally Anglican when I, I had, given over to transubstantiation as being true. Um, but it was still just that sense of like, no, it, they, these things that these, cause at this point, right, I'm agreeing with the church fathers and so much. It was a restorationist who taught me about theosis or deification, right? Like, yes, yes, yes. But like, I think they're wrong about these other really central and ultimately interconnected issues like liturgy or the Eucharist, and I couldn't live that way anymore. Uh, and yet it was that very emphasis on those things. Um, but also you talked about like the need for the creeds, and it just made me think of how many church websites have a what we believe statement on them, right? And not just like regular churches, but churches of Christ and other, <laughs> we've got creeds, 
We steal them from each other. They all look the same. Why on earth are we pretending like these things don't exist? Uh, and so, yes, just yes. <laughs> all right. So uh, the spoiler alert is, and and we don't really want to get into too much of this. I just want to steer people over to watch your, your Journey Home episodes because you have told the sort of the narrative arcs of how these things kind of accumulated over time. And both of you actually have some fairly personal things that were part of this. It wasn't just some like theological math that you did right right? this is like real life right your real live relationship with christ and with your family and and everything associated with that so we know that you both ended up in the catholic church um hopefully if a church of christ person is listening they realize hey you're real live christians who for whom you didn't stop thinking jesus was important and become catholic like you became catholic because jesus is everything that's that's it right so um the question I would then ask you to really confuse your friends, <laughs> right, from your Church of Christ backgrounds is, what's something that you grew to love in the Church of Christ that um, that you have brought in with you? And I'll give you an example from my experience, and I'm sorry if I'm stealing your example, but we'll have these Coming Home Network retreats. Um, by the way, if you're in crisis right now, exploring the Catholic Church and want to go on one, and especially if you're a pastor— Go to chnetwork.org slash retreats, and we'll figure out how to get you out there. <laughs> but uh, we've had we've had a, a retreat or two where there um, we'll do mass and morning prayer and night prayer, and we did one in this old stone chapel in Columbus at a retreat center that's not not there anymore. But I happen to have a couple of Church of Christ people with us uh, of the acapella variety, and here we are getting th- ready to think. You know, here we're going to just like chant a couple of psalms, and you know pray the Magnificat and and move on with our life. And the Church of Christ people just start blowing the roof off of the place with like four-part harmonies and stuff. It was incredible. I was like, let's get more Church of Christ people in here, man. These people know how to sing. So uh, that's one thing that at least for me uh, is extremely noticeable, a gift that uh, some of my Church of Christ friends have have brought into the church with them. Um, Either you have anything that you've brought into the church with you. Music for sure is huge. I mean, I do miss that four part harmony, um, but I am part of music ministry at church and I, I love that so much. Um, also I would say, um, you know, a couple of things. Bible study has always been a huge value for me. And so I've kind of brought that with me into the church as well and um, started a mom's group Bible study. And we do that Bible study plus um, community, just living in community, helping each other on the journey. Um, that's really, really important. And not that the church didn't have that <laughs> before I came, but I'm just saying that's something that I still really am super passionate about. Um, and just talking about our relationship with the Lord and, and journeying together and supporting each other. I always had that um, before in the Church of Christ, and I'm super grateful to still have that now. Um, and certainly, you know, just that desire to tell people about Jesus, I think that's a huge piece of the Restoration Movement of mm. all Protestantism, but um, just that desire to share the good news, I, I definitely still carry that um, with me as well, so... David, you? That was a lot of things. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's, you stole every single one of David's things, I'm sure. I was supposed to do so, one. Fortunately not. Uh, no, <laughs> but I did have to think about it for a minute. Um, because like you, I mean, there are a lot of things where I say, I'll, I'll say I've brought it with me, but it was also there. 
right? And it's sometimes it's a matter of emphasis or a matter of a present culture versus another one. Um, you know, I mean, the love of scripture, right, is is a big one uh, for me. Um, you know, I can still quote uh, a lot of it, um, not always with chapter and verse. Uh, and, and there is the, the David Mosley, like, paraphrase version where I, I like, this is basically what it said. Uh, but, like, you know, that comes out a lot. Uh, I'm a teacher and I, I teach theology and those kinds of things come out. Uh, and my students are always impressed. I'm like, well, yeah, that's because when I went to Bible church camp as a kid, like, we had tests on memorizing scriptures. So this was just like a thing that I did as a kid. Um, but, it, but there is that sense of internalizing it and internalizing it really in a way that I find so present in people like the church fathers, where they're often not directly quoting. They don't have a Bible sitting in front of them, but they've so internalized the text that it just comes out when they write. Um, and that's a, that's a sense I, I at least long to have. I don't make claims to have it that internalized, but, but that I long to have that, and that thanks to those years of going to like doing Bible trivia nights and stuff like that, that it really helped me internalize scripture in that way. Um, but then also, you know, small groups. <laughs> Did Sorry, you? <laughs> you do, would you bring your Bible quizzing thing? I, I've got to just show off. Yeah. I got I got a couple Bible quizzing. We did it as Nazarenes too, man. So we should have had a Nazarene Church of Christ throwdown <laughs> to see whose Bible camp was really getting the job done. It's true. It's true. I won a couple of Bibles, though. I'm just saying every year at like church camp. I'm just saying. We had the guy who, who won. Uh, so wait, if you uh, you're as a reward for being good at memorizing the Bible, you got another you got Bible. Bible. You got another one. Uh huh. Just want to make sure I get that right. Right. Oh, absolutely. Not all like different translations too, because of course there's not just one that we all use. So, just you know, this year it was the NIV, next year it's the ESV. Uh, <laughs> Mix it up a little bit, right? Yeah. Uh, but then small groups was another thing that that really became popular, and this was more so in my kind of Christian churches, churches of Christ. So my instrumental people, uh, they they did that really well, right? This notion of offshoots from Sunday or other programs uh, throughout the week where you're meeting in smaller groups of people and and getting that opportunity to share the faith, share our love for Jesus together. Um, and that's something that, you know, I've, I've found little ways to kind of form either like officially with my parish or more unofficially just with friends and things like that. Very cool. Very cool. Well, this has been this time has flown. I don't know how it's felt on your end, but I feel like this time has flown. But before uh, we, we move on with our lives, I want to just like give you a chance to talk about what projects you're involved in now. Um, uh, Rochelle, you mentioned that you're singing in church. Anything else you're getting, you've gotten involved yeah. in as a, as a um, Catholic? Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest thing, I think I've talked to you about this before, but um, I have been really studying um, John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and it is well, it's done wonders for me personally, for my life, trying to pass it on to my children and also teaching people in the church. So I do a lot of ministry around that, um, which is very exciting. And I'm in the process of certification through the Theology of the Body Institute. It's just, you guys know, it is so incredibly important um, right now, especially in our culture. Um, people need to be ready to share um, the good news of God's plan for us. So um, that's really the biggest thing I'm super passionate about right now. 
Very cool. And that's a, that's a really cool thing to be involved in. And I think too, mm-hmm. for anybody who had any experience and, and this, I feel like this has come up in a thousand conversations I've been in lately, um, an experience of like Protestant purity culture and contrasting that with the depth of theology of the body. It's just such yeah. a, I think that's one of the reasons so many converts from evangelical groups are so attracted to the theology of the body because it fills in all the blanks, yeah. right? And it roots it like a thousand miles deeper than just like a, don't do this, don't do that. So, yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, very no, cool. that shift from abstinence to chastity is such an important. It's a, it's massive. It's game changing for people to, to understand. All right, David and you. Oh, you're the you know, poet, laureate, doing... scholar, and gentleman. <laughs> okay, I'm not a laureate of anywhere, uh, <laughs> but at least not yet. You know, you never know. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm I'm headmaster of a, a Chesterton Academy out in Spokane, uh, Washington. So if anybody who's watching this, right, if you're thinking about moving to the area, come apply to have your kids at my school. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a writer. I, I've I've been writing for quite some time now. Um, we've got a couple of books of poetry out, working on another book right now on actually kind of the medieval cosmos and what its spiritual significance is for us today. And uh, yeah, just doing stuff like that. That's uh, that's one of the bolder claims that's been made in the, uh, you know, share your website segment of these things you know people are mostly like yeah check out my blog david's like no spend several years worth of tuition at my school you know yes <laughs> uh, yeah. academy of notre dame.org my website is david com. all right so look at those lower thirds look at the show notes and i do not uh, have a website Sorry. Yet. You don't have a website I yet. Don't have one either. Unless you become like this internationally known Theology of the Body instructor, I'm sure that'll oh, all come right together. Okay. Yes, I'm so. sure. I'll keep you posted. All right. Well, this has been so much fun. While we're throwing out websites, I want to make sure to throw out uh, chnetwork.org, where there's tons of free resources, including, as we mentioned a couple times already, not just the Journey Home episodes of Rochelle and David, but Rochelle's also done a written version of her conversion story. David will soon. Right, David? Right. Maybe sure. We'll see. As soon as we'll somebody see. asks me. I just did. All right. And then the, we've also got a couple of uh, short videos from each of you explaining various things. I think Rochelle's got a couple things about her uh, Church of Christ experience, especially in the early church. David's even gotten some stuff that we've recorded from him about Lord of the Rings. So uh, head on over there, community.chnetwork.org. If you want to join the on- online community, have conversations with other people, there's some Church of Christ people in the online community that you can hang out with and talk to as well. And then, of course... Uh, to make all of this available to as many people as possible at no charge whatsoever. You can be a part of the support team by going to chnetwork.org slash donate, and uh, we would be greatly appreciative. Dr. David Russell Mosley, Rochelle Parker, thank you so much, and uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. you. All right, and thank you for joining us on this episode of CH Network Presents. We'll talk to you next time around.